For thousands of years, since the earliest of days, we've had this theory about how the universe works, which is this. Nothing good comes into the world without some related pain. No pain, no gain. As countless burly men have reminded us, those guys with whistles around their necks in gym class, since the beginning of time, it is one of the oldest cliches of civilization. Nothing good in this world comes without a price. No pain, no gain. We can't live on pizza and ice cream without serious health effects. It's a law of the universe. This is not because pizza and ice cream are bad, they're good. In fact, ice cream is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. But everything good comes with a price. That kale salad we enjoyed at dinner was picked by a migrant laborer living one step ahead of the authorities, sleeping in an uninsulated shack with no health insurance, sending half his wages home to his family in Mexico. It's a good salad, but it comes at a price. That shirt we're wearing, very nice, sewn by an Indonesian child. That freedom of speech we enjoy, purchased with the blood of soldiers. I am imagining that this law of the universe was probably first articulated during the miracle of childbirth. The ancients saw how the joy of new life was made possible only through the agony of childbirth. And we who have been blessed with children know that that's only the beginning, you know. We also pay the price in the form of sleepless nights, endless worries, untold expenditures of time and love and money. Every one of us today draws breath because untold numbers of people, mostly unknown to us, bore a considerable amount of pain for us to be enjoying this life. During this Passover night of the COVID virus, I can think of no more apt metaphor for our meditations on this theme than this story of the people of Israel, hunkered down in their homes while the dreadful cries of their neighbors ring through the night, the angel of death taking every firstborn Egyptian child. Again, this ancient law of the universe finds its form. The fresh dawn of freedom would only come after a night of death. To the ancient mind, this made perfect sense because nothing good comes without a price. As I enter into that story in prayer, I imagine everyone in Egypt, Egyptians and Jews, praying that night, the people of Israel praying for freedom, the Egyptians praying for mercy. The Jews were aware of the good they were gaining. They were gaining their freedom. The Egyptians, the Pharaoh, on the other hand, were only aware of what they were losing insensible to any good coming from their pain. That's the worst kind of suffering, you know, when you can't see any good coming from it. The Pharaoh's attachment to the system that kept him in power blinded him to the good that was being accomplished. He was like the plantation owners during the Civil War, seeing their sons coming home in coffins, finally seeing the whole slave economy the, the economy that they fought for, seeing it collapse, and yet they were unable to imagine a better world without slavery. 
determined, in fact, not to see it. Generations later, once the people of Israel had finally settled in the Holy Land, once their prosperity had been purchased with buckets of blood, they came up with an ingenious technology to make this law of the universe work to their advantage. They built a, a temple where God would live, and they put an altar inside so that if they ever really needed something good to happen, they could go to the temple with a dove or a baby lamb or an ox, depending on how big the ask was, and they could pay the required price in blood. For thousands of years throughout the ancient world, this is what you did when you wanted something good to happen. You made a sacrifice. The word literally means to make sacred. And in that eruption of pain and blood, it was thought certainly something good would be born. I imagine I'm not alone as I wonder, what is the good that God is bringing to us through this pandemic? Obviously, it's too soon to say, and for millions of good people around the world facing hunger, economic insecurity, illness and death, it is almost obscene to suggest a silver lining that they and perhaps we will never see. But I also think it's important to remember and to teach our children that there will be a time when we as a people look back on these days and we say, oh my God, that was terrible. But look at the good it brought. And there will be much good. Of that we can have faith even if we cannot know or even imagine what that good will be. We can have faith that we are a small part of a story much bigger than us with an with a ending that we cannot now comprehend, but which will end however it ends in glory. And so it is with Jesus' death on the cross. How do we understand it? You know, what purpose did it serve? With the ancient mind, we think surely the magnitude of that tragedy brought an equally magnificent good. What was it? These days, beginning with the baby boomer generation, we're less conscious of any necessary connection between the goods we enjoy and the pain that made them possible. We're more inclined to think of our comfort and our security as our birthright rather than as something that's been purchased for us at a terrible price. And so we find ourselves confused by the sacrifice of Jesus. We find ourselves wondering why it was necessary for God to watch his son die on the cross in order for us to enjoy salvation. What kind of weird mechanistic universe makes that necessary, we wonder. And besides all that, we don't even have a clear idea what it is that was accomplished on the cross. What were we being saved from? The number of Episcopalians who believe in hell has been in decline steadily since the 19th century. So if it's not hell, what are we being saved from? What was the good that Jesus' death accomplished? Of course, there are a million answers to that question, and each person needs to make their own sense of it. But today, for me, 
the sense that I'm making arrives as I pray on the events of this Maundy Thursday night. Under the shadow of death, in the certainty of arrest and torture, Jesus chose to show us how death can become a path of life. As he lived, so he died, teaching us how to live and love. Even if it's a great mystery to us, it seems clear that Jesus knew exactly what he was accomplishing with his sacrifice. He had an almost transcendent clarity about him. He did not falter. Despite his fear and anguish, he knew full well what he had to do and why. The reward for his pain was not a mystery to Jesus. His purpose was clear. He approached his death exactly as he lived his life with the conviction to teach us about how love is stronger than death. You know, long before he offered up his body, Jesus offered up his ego, his power, his privilege. Shocking his disciples, he insisted that they submit to the profound humility of love through foot washing, something that in their society only a slave would ever do. To this day, his example continues to inspire and unnerve us. What kind of love is this that sheds the trappings of power so profoundly? Who are we in the light of that love? Like Peter refusing to have his feet washed, how are we resisting his love? How are we protesting? How are we protecting our own systems of privilege, protecting our own place in a society that would have slaves washing our feet. Jesus sees the depth of our attachment to this system, and he comes to us in the form of a slave, towel in hand. By so doing, he challenges the very structures of power and privilege and ego and autonomy that we cling to and protect and uphold. Jesus raises the bread and the cup, and again, he shocks his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Like Judas, we would run away from the Paschal Feast, determined to believe in our own ideas of what the kingdom of God should look like, a place where the power of the sword is always stronger than the power of love. But Jesus comes to us his arms open, inviting us to take the very source of his life into our bodies, an ancient form of vaccination against the virus of death. On this, his final day of freedom, he shows us what it looks like when God takes on human flesh. He offers that very flesh as a sacrifice, transforming our fear of death into a love for God and one another. You know, the truth is we're all going to die one day, if not from the COVID virus, then from something. And we always have a choice. We can go out bitterly, focused only on ourselves, like the Pharaoh on that Passover night, his mind filled with rage and grief. Or we can go out like Jesus, his mind fixed on only one question. In the face of death, Will you let me love you? Where did Jesus get that love? 
That's a good question for us tonight. Where do we get that love? What is the source of your love? Tonight, after we take some time to at least symbolically wash one another's feet, and after we have at least symbolically received the sacrament of his body and blood, we will carry the consecrated body and blood of Christ into the garden of repose, where we will hold vigil with Jesus. We'll be live streaming this garden through the night for anyone who wishes to stay awake for a time and pray with him. If you choose to hold vigil tonight, I invite you to meditate on these questions. What is the source of your love? How do you want your life to express your love? And when your final day approaches, how will you use your one precious death to share your love? May Christ, who gives us the will to do these things, grant us also the courage and the grace to complete them. Amen.